You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Armageddon. I expect most of us have heard that term. But where, when and who will be involved? Well, this episode looks at those very questions. And while Russia at the moment are amassing troops on the border of Ukraine and other nations fear an invasion may happen imminently, there is actually a future Russia or Russian invasion of Israel that will surely happen as prophesied in the scriptures of truth. Bible chapters are quoted in this episode to show us what to expect. God will dispose of the invaders and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will establish the worldwide kingdom of God. Now the term Armageddon is generally known as a, as a terrifying and frightening time, something that refers to a battle that would take place of biblical proportions at the end times. It's often connected to a time when there will be a cataclysmic and widespread destruction of the human race because of a catastrophe and a climatic conflict that will take place between the forces of evil and the forces of God at the return of Jesus Christ. Now because of that, there is a great sense of fear and of dread associated with this word. And there is a real concern that the very survival of the the human race is at stake because of this great and final battle that will take place. And contributing to that fear is a general belief that the forces of evil that will fight against the forces of God are the devil, and his angels. And so there is this heightened sense of trepidation that the human race will be caught in the crossfires of this supernatural battle that will take place in this final control, this final battle for the control of the earth. So what we'd like to do tonight is to have a look and see what the Bible has to say about Armageddon, as well as to show that the Bible has a very positive hope for the future both for the, for the earth as well as for the people that are on it. And what we like to do immediately is just to put your mind at rest that the Bible does not talk about a literal battle that will take place between a supernatural devil and God that will annihilate the human race. So let's commence, if you will, and turn over to Isaiah chapter 45. <clears throat> And in Isaiah 45 and at verse 18, we commence with a very clear passage that shows that God alone has a purpose with the earth. It's a purpose that involves filling the earth with people. And so we read in this Old Testament passage in Isaiah 45 verse 18, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, 
and there is none else. This particular passage highlights for us three very important pieces of information uh, within it. The first one is that God alone is in control of the earth because it was God who made the earth. As it says there, that God, the Lord created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. And so we can rest confident in the knowledge that God is in control of everything that takes place on the earth. The second important piece of information that comes from this verse is that God had a very specific purpose for creating the earth. He says that he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. And so that means that there is a wonderful hope for the earth, a hope that will involve the human race. And the third piece of information is contained in the last phrase of that verse. I am the Lord and there is none else. That means we don't have to be worried about another supernatural being, for example, like a devil. There is only one supernatural being that is God himself. There is no one else. With that hope in mind, let's now turn our attention to this word Armageddon and say, and have a look at what the Bible has to say about this particular word. The term Armageddon only appears once in our Bibles and the Bible passage that it that is contained in gives us a few clues in terms of what the word actually is talking about. And it's important when we come to that word in, in our Bibles that we look at the context of that word to gain a much fuller understanding of what is involved in this term Armageddon. Before we look at where this passage occurs, we want to have a look at the context of it. So the term Armageddon occurs in the book of Revelation. So come over with me to Revelation and chapter 1. Because it's important to understand what the book of Revelation is all about before we consider how this term Armageddon is actually used. And so the book Revelation is actually a series of visions that were given by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gave them to his servant, of the Apostle John. And these visions were about future events that were going to take place on the earth. And we read of that in Revelation 1 and in verse 1. And there we read, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. And so what we can see in that particular verse is that these visions that were going to be provided to John were all about future events, things which must shortly come to pass. These visions are... Uh, wrapped up in this word revelation and the word revelation means to uncover or to unveil so there was going to be a revealing a revelation of these visions but the process in which they were going to be presented to John is that it says there that they were signified by the angel 
And that word signified literally means he showed them by signs. And so these future events that were going to be unveiled by the Lord Jesus Christ were coded in signs and in symbols. And so if we are to understand the book of Revelation, we have to first understand the meaning of the symbols. We might ask, well, why does God want to make it harder for us? Why, why does he want to code things in his word? Well, the principle associated with that is contained for us in Proverbs 25 and verse 2. And there the proverb says, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honour of kings is to search out a matter. You see, God wants his servants to dig deep into his word. He wants them to try and understand the message that is contained within his word. He wants us to make cross-references between passages. He wants us to try and understand the principles that are contained within his word. To reason it out, to logically look at how God has put his word together. To understand what is the message that is contained within it. And so if we can come to an understanding of the symbols in the book of Revelation, we can therefore unlock what the message of these visions are actually uh, talking about. But the key is to look at our Bibles. The key is to look at particularly the Old Testament in which these symbols are revealed and interpreted for us. So with that in mind, let's come over to Revelation chapter 16 which is where this term Armageddon is found. And in Revelation chapter 16, again, the context is important. Here, here is a chapter which contains a series of visions which involve the pouring out of seven vials upon the earth. We read of that in verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying, saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Now a vial is simply a bowl. And so contained within these bowls where these wrath was the wrath of God, which were going to be poured out upon the earth. So what we are being told is that these visions are all about the pouring out of God's judgments. And we'll see that when we come to this term Armageddon. So the reference is in verse 16. But again, let's have a look at the context. Uh, and we'll read of this sixth vial, uh, commencing at verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. 
So there's lots of symbols contained within that short passage and we don't have the, the time to go through and to prove what each of these symbols are in this passage. So in the interest of time, what we want to do is just glean some very important information in relation to this word Armageddon, which we saw occurs there in verse 16. Firstly, we see in verse 16 that the term Armageddon refers to a geographical place. He gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. The second thing we glean from this passage is that this place is somewhere in the land of Israel because it's described in the Hebrew tongue, which is the language of the nation of Israel. And so there is this also in verse 16, a gathering together which is going to take place in, into this particular geographical area. Who is going to be gathered together? Who is the them in verse 16? Well, the answer to that is contained for us in verse 14. And there we see that there is this spirit of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them. So it's a group of nations which are going to be gathered together to Armageddon. And what is the purpose of their gathering? Well, the purpose is also contained for us in, at the end of verse 14. They are gathered together to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. When will this battle take place? Well, the answer for that is in verse 15. It will take place when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Behold, I come as a thief. And so when we put all of those points together, the picture that is being developed for us is that there is a future time that is coming when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, that there's going to be a gathering together of nations into a central and geographical location in the land of Israel in order for a great battle to take place. What that tells us then is that this term Armageddon refers to a place in Israel where there is going to be a global conflict that is going to take place at the end times, the time when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. This is a battle that God is in total control of because it's he that gathers them together. It's a battle that God will decisively win because it's called in verse 14, the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And given that the pouring of these vials or these bowls are all about the pouring of God's wrath upon the earth, this is a, a battle which is all about God's judgments upon these nations that will be gathered together at Armageddon. It's all about the execution of God's judgments upon the nations of the earth. Now that is also confirmed for us when we consider the meaning of the word Armageddon. It's made up of three different Hebrew uh, words uh, in the Hebrew. The word Armor, which means a heap of sheaves. The word Gay, which means a valley. And the word Don, 
which means judgment. So when we put all of that together, we, we come therefore to a phrase which signifies a heap of sheaves in a valley for judgment. So again, it reinforces that idea that the gathering together of these nations is all about the judgment that is going to take place upon them. God is bringing them together, as it were, to bring sheaves together, sheaves of wheat, as it were, to take out the sickle, to cut them down, and to execute judgments upon them using that type of symbol and an analogy. This is a battle that God is in total control of. It's God who will bring these nations into that valley. It's God who will harvest the nations. It's God who will execute his judgments upon all of these nations. Well, I guess the question for us is, why does God want to bring these nations together to judge them? And where exactly is this valley that, where this judgment will take place? Well, to answer that question, we need to turn to an Old Testament prophecy to Joel chapter 3. If you turn with me to, to Joel chapter 3, this reveals a more detail as to why this judgment is going to take place, why these nations are gathered together. Now, Joel chapter 3 is also a, um, a chapter in relation to the end times when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. And we know that because the timing of Joel chapter 3 is revealed for us in the first verse. And there we read, For behold, in those days and in that time, those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. What is those days and what is that time? Well, that's revealed to us in the previous chapter, in chapter 2 and at verse 31. And there we read, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. It's a great and a terrible day. And immediately, if you have a look at the, uh, the parallel there, at that first parallel on the slide, immediately you can see that is a very similar phrase to what we read about in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 14. It's a great day that is going to take place. A great day in which this battle will occur. Now there are other parallels in Joel chapter 3 to Revelation chapter 16. And we read of that in verse 2 of Joel 3. I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. So again, we can see a parallel to Revelation 16 where the nations will be gathered together. Now, the gathering of these nations, the purpose of the gathering is revealed for us in uh, verses 9 to 11. And again, it's all about a great battle that is to take place. And so we read in from verse 9, Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles, Prepare war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, 
and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. So this is a time of war. This is why the nations are gathered together. They're coming together, building up their armaments, beating the drums of war. They are going to come into a great conflict. Very similar, as we saw, to Revelation chapter 16, a time of war, a great battle. Now, the fact that the judgments of God are going to be executed upon these nations is also revealed for us in verses 12 to 13. And it's revealed to us using the same language of the meaning of the word Armageddon that we just saw. And so in verses 12 to 13 we read, Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put you in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. So here we have the same symbols that we saw for the meaning of the term Armageddon, a heap of sheaves in a valley for judgment. Here we have God taking the sickle, harvesting those sheaves, cutting them down because the harvest is ripe. It's the same symbols, the same analogy which is being used. Now, it's not without significance that the valley in which these judgments would take place is called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. The word Jehoshaphat means God's judgment. And the actual valley itself is located just outside the city of Jerusalem. And if you have a look at verse 14, this particular valley is also called the Valley of Decision. And so we read there in verse 14, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The word decision means threshing. If you've got a King James uh, Version Bible, uh, you'll see that in, the, in your centre margin. It's all about the threshing of nations that will take place within this valley. And so again, it's reinforcing the picture that's being painted, that this is all about the, the harvesting, the execution of God's judgments upon these nations. They're going to be threshed. So why are these nations being gathered together and why are they being judged? Well, the answer lies in verse 2 and it's got something to do with the people of Israel. And there we read that God will gather also, will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. And he will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and part of my land. So here we're, what we're being told is that Israel are God's people. And on their behalf, he is going to plead with these nations. The word plead means to judge or to pass sentence. And so these nations are going to be judged by God. A sentence is going to be proclaimed upon them. And why is that? Because as we read at the end of verse 2, they have scattered God's people among the nations and they have parted his land. And so this describes for us a terrible time which is coming upon 
the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel has been scattered by these nations. They have subdivided the land. And so it describes a time when these nations have descended upon the nation of Israel. They've taken them into captivity. They have subdivided the land. They've scattered them. And the time gets worse because in verse 3, it says that they have cast lots for my people and have given a boy for an harlot and sold a girl for wine that they might drink. And so they've come upon the nation of Israel. They've done what they like with these people. And no wonder God is angry with, them, with these nations. No wonder he wants to pass judgment. He wants to pass a sentence upon the, nation, the nations for what they have done to his people. Now, there is more detail about this time of great trouble which will come upon the nation of Israel if we turn over to another Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah and chapter 14. In Zechariah chapter 14, we have extra, an extra layer of information which is revealed to us in relation to this global conflict that will take place within the nation of Israel and particularly against the city of Jerusalem. In Zechariah chapter 14, we read of this, uh, of this conflict, of this battle that will take place in Jerusalem in verses 1 to 3. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. Now, the fact that Zechariah 14 is also um, situated in the end times is revealed for us in verse 1, because it, it opens with that phrase, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. And that is a phrase that describes for us the end times. It's another great and terrible day that will, that will take place. Again, we saw in verse 2, the language is very similar to what we've, we've already seen in Revelation 16, that all the nations will be gathered together for battle. And this time, as we saw, it's against Jerusalem. There's more detail for us in verse 2 as to the time of oppression and trouble that will come upon the nation of Israel. More detail is provided to us. The people will be ill-treated, the city will be conquered, the land will be divided. But just when all hope appears to be lost, in verse 3 we read that God will go forth and he will fight against those nations. He will save his people from that time of trouble that will come upon them. How will he do that? Well, the answer is in verses 4 and 5. He will send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there we read, And his feet, that's the Lord Jesus Christ's feet, shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem, on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west. So that's describing for us a great earthquake that is going to take place 
when the Lord Jesus Christ places his feet on the Mount of Olives. There's going to be a very great valley that's going to be created. Half the mountain shall remove toward the north. Half of it will go toward the south. And so God will deliver his people, his nation of Israel, by sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver them through this earthquake that will take place in the nation of Israel. And so what we've seen so far is that there will be nations that will invade the nation of Israel. They will cruelly treat them, but ultimately they're going to be delivered by God through the return of his son, who will save his people from their oppressors. And all of that will happen at the end times. And all of this is all bound up in this term Armageddon. There's going to be a valley in Jerusalem. That's going to be the scene in which God is going to thresh the nations in judgment in return for what they have done to his people. The question for us then is, who are these nations that are going to be gathered together? And why do they come upon the nation of Israel? Well, we need to turn to another Old Testament prophecy. If you come with me over to Ezekiel chapter 38, and there we have more answers which are provided to us as to who are these nations that will be gathered together and invade the nation of Israel and why do they want to do this? So in Ezekiel chapter 38, this is a key chapter that describes for us in enormous amount of detail the nations that will be gathered together against the nation of Israel. This is a fundamental chapter for us to understand, to unlock the key as to who is going to be gathered together. Now the timing of the chapter is in the latter days. We can see that in verse 8. It talks about there in verse 8, After many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years. Also in verse 16, it talks about the fact that this will take place in the latter days. So this is an end-time prophecy. This is a prophecy that would take place just prior to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this particular prophecy which describes for us an invasion of the nation of Israel by a great multitude of nations is directed to an individual in verse 2 called Gog. And we read, and so we read that in verse two, son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And then the prophecy goes on to describe the details of all the countries that will come against uh, the nation of Israel, all the nations that will join Gog in invading the land. If we were to summarise the chapter of Ezekiel 38, the first seven verses describe for us the nations that will join Gog, the nations that are confederate with him. Verses 8 to 13 goes into all the detail of the invasion of the nation of Israel by Gog and his allies. And then in verses 14 to 23, we see that God is going to save his people Israel from Gog and all the nations which are confederate with him. 
So the question we have to answer then is, who is Gog? Well, there's a few clues for us in verse 2 as to who Gog is. <clears throat> and from the outset, we want to uh, indicate to you that we believe that Gog is someone who is in control of the nation of Russia. How do we get to that point? Well, let's consider the clues which are contained for us in verse 2. We read that Gog is of the land of Magog. So we have to identify the territory of Magog to understand who Gog is. We see also that he is called a prince. So this is someone with political power. We also see that he is described as a chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Now the word chief there is actually a proper noun. It's a proper name. And many translations have that as the, prin as the prince of Rosh. So the word chief should be translated as the name Rosh. So he is, the, he is therefore the prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal. So that gives us more clues in terms of the geographical location of where this prince is located. He is also located north of Israel. In verse 15 of this chapter, you see that he comes out of the north parts. So a location above Israel, north of Israel. So when we put all these clues together, we have a bit of a picture as to who Gog is. The word Gog itself is a word that means someone who is a roof, a cover to surmount or the top. And so that gives us a clue that whoever this person Gog is, it's someone who is at the pinnacle of his power, someone who is at the very top of his political power. It's an undisputed ruler, someone who wields enormous influence and authority. And that is another important clue as to who this man Gog is. Well, as we said in verse 2, this word Gog is someone who is associated with the land of Magog. So well, who is, well, where is Magog today? Well, there's a large body of historical evidence in relation to this people who inhabited this geographical area of Magog. They were known as the Magogites. Josephus, who was a historian that lived between the years AD 37 and AD 100, he wrote that Magog founded those that from him were named Magogites, but who by the Greeks are called Scythians. So the Greeks called these people from Magog Scythians. Who are the Scythians? Herodotus, who is the most ancient Greek writer, he says that the name Scythi was a name given by the Greeks to an ancient and widely extended people of Europe who had spread themselves from the river Tanius, or Don, westward along the banks of the Ister, or the Danube. So the Scythians, or the Magogites, occupied a territory between the river Don, which is in Russia, and the river Danube, which is in Germany. Now the River Don is one of Russia's five major rivers 
and it's located in southern Russia. And the river Danube is located uh, throughout central Europe. It starts in Germany. It goes through 10 different countries. Austria, Hungary, Croatia, Serbia, Romania, Bulgaria, Moldova, and also the Ukraine before it empties out into the Black Sea. So that's a very large region which is covered between those two rivers. That's where the Magogites um, spread themselves and inhabited. Importantly, it starts in southern Russia, in the east. It goes right through to Germany in the west. And interestingly, interestingly it also covers Ukraine. And we know how that Russia has recently annexed Crimea from Ukraine in the year 2014. So if Gog is to have control over this area between the River Don and the River Danube, which includes the Ukraine and Crimea, then the annexation of Crimea by Russia is in line with Bible prophecy. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later on because there are uh, some very interesting things which are happening in Ukraine uh, right now. Now, another reason as to why it would appear that Ukraine may need to be taken by force is by the use of this term, Rosh. We saw there in verse 2, the Prince of Rosh. Let's just have a look at what a number of historians say about this word, Rosh. Gesenius, um, who was a highly respected Hebrew expert, he lived in the 1800s, and he said that this word Rosh undoubtedly refers to the Russians who were mentioned by the Byzantine writers of the 10th century under the name of Ross. There is another writer, 100 years later, uh, who also made the same observation. His name was Bishop Loth. And um, he's a very respected Bible uh, scholar who translated the Bible into English. And he said that Rosh, taken as a proper name in Ezekiel, signifies the inhabitants of Scythia, from whom the modern Russians derive their name. We can go back another hundred years to another historian, another well-respected Hebrew scholar, Samuel Bokart, and he wrote in the year 1640 that Ross is the most ancient form under which history makes mention of the name Russia. So consistently for hundreds of years, the historical experts have identified the term Rosh with Russia. That's not just a historical view because even in modern days today, there are, in modern Russia, many companies who still use the word Ross, the noun Ross, as part of the name of their companies. So we have Ross Telecom, Ross Bank, Ross Co, Ross Foods, Ross Geo. Ross is very much a, a modern term which is used today as it was historically. Let's just dig a little bit deeper into the territory which was once occupied by this people called the Rosh, the Ross or the Rus. Now, the territory occupied by Ukraine today is known by most historians as the name of Ross or Rus. Earlier in its history, Ukraine used to be called Little Russia or Little Rus, 
the capital of Ukraine is Kiev today, and that used to be the first capital of the, uh, the nation of Russia before they relocated their capital to Moscow. And in fact, the name Ukraine was first used to define the territory known as the Kivian Rus. The Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica says that the Kiev Rus was for a long time known among the Greeks as Scythia or Tauroscythia, with a remark now and then that these Tauroscythians called themselves Rus. Now, apart from the fact that the Kiev Rus is connected to Scythians, which we saw before was part of the land of Magog, this term Kiev Rus refers to a collection of tribes that now occupy what is now known as modern Ukraine today, as well as large parts of southern Russia. So the people of Rosh once occupied modern Ukraine. So when we read that the Prince of Rosh is um, the, this person, Gog, is the Prince of Rosh, what we're being told is that he is going to control this area which includes modern Ukraine today. And right now, we are seeing these types of headlines in our media, which describes the fact that Russia is on the very border of Ukraine at the very moment. They have stationed about 115,000 troops on the border of Ukraine. And the world is very worried that Russia may be invading uh, Ukraine at any moment. There is a very real fear that it will do so on multiple fronts. And the reason why it will do that is because it has great historical ties to this particular area. Because many Russians uh, still believe that Ukraine is still part of the old Russian Empire. In fact, the Russian president, President Vladimir Putin, he recently wrote an article in July and he stated, we will never allow our historical territories and peoples close to us living there to be used against Russia. And he reiterated his claim that Russians and the Ukraine are one people. There's a lot of fighting which is taking place between Ukraine and Russia. It's been taking place since 2014. It's called Europe's Forgotten War. But right now, Russia is trying and striving to have control over the Ukraine, and that is exactly what we would expect in line with Bible prophecy. We also saw that uh, Gog is also the prince not only of Rosh, which includes Ukraine, but also he is also a prince of Meshech and Tubal. Um, Herodotus refers to Meshech as a people called the Moscai, and um, we are told by uh, historians that they wandered between the Black and the Caspian Sea, which is inhabited by an area called Georgia today. They then moved northwards into Russia, and there they became known as the Muscovs, and they gave their name to the Russian nation and to its ancient capital. So the term um, Meshek has very strong ties with uh, the city of Moscow, which is the capital of Russia today. And what about Tubal? Well, Josephus identifies Tubal 
as an area which was uh, inhabited between the, the Black and the Caspian Seas as well. And um, the people there uh, also uh, migrated north uh, to a region which is now known as Siberia. And, um, and, uh, and they settled in an area uh, which is on the River Tobol. And so therefore this name, Tubal, has very strong links to the modern city of Tobolsky today. Now, the geographical area of, um, of Gog is, as we saw before, was going to be north of Israel. And we, we saw that very briefly in verse 15, that he is going to come from thy place out of the north parts. <clears throat> There's only one nation which is north of Israel, which is remotely north of Israel, which can fit that verse, and that is the nation of Russia. And so there are various translations on verse 15, which says that out of the remote places out of the earth, out of the uttermost places of the earth, and out of the far north, there's only one nation that covers that particular area geographically, and that is the nation of Russia. So Ezekiel 38, having gone through and identified the key player, which is uh, Gog or, or Russia, also describes for us an invasion that will take place by this uh, individual into the nation of Israel. And so we read of that invasion, uh, commencing from verse 3. God says, And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws. I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armour, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Goma and all his bands, the house of Tagama of the north quarters and all his bands and many people with thee. They're going to go down into the nation uh, of Israel. Uh, verse 7. Be thou prepared and prepare for thyself and all, that, and all thy company that are assembled unto thee and be thou a guard unto them. After many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years. Thou shalt come into the land that's the land of Israel that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have always been waste, but is brought forth out of the nations, and thou shalt dwell safely, all of them. Thou shalt ascend and come down like a storm, and thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands, and many people with thee. So there's going to be a massive confederacy of nations which are going to come down like a storm to cover the land of Israel. Those nations are described for us in verses 5 to 6 as we've just read. Now we don't have time to go through and try and prove uh, the nations, uh, who they are in modern times, but some of them do have still modern names today. So Persia, generally known as Iran, 
Ethiopia, still modern Ethiopia. Libya, we've recognised that nation there. Goma is a, a term that refers to Western Europe and that includes the nations of France, Spain, Italy and Germany. And Tagama, a name which covers the nation of Turkey in modern days today. <clears throat> and so there is this great confederacy of nations gathered together. And in verse 7, we read there at the end of that verse that Gog is going to be a guard unto them. That indicates that Gog is capable of defending and protecting this group of nations. There is only one nation that has the size, the influence, the authority and the military capability of guarding this whole group of nations and that is undoubtedly the Russians. There, there is no other northern nation to Israel that is capable of fulfilling that. Now, we might think it's difficult to comprehend that there would be a group of nations that would come down upon the nation of Israel who would join Russia in an invasion against Israel. We might think that's beyond the realms of possibility, an unlikely event that's ever going to happen in world history, except that we have already had an historical precedent of groups of nations coming down against the nation of Israel to, to deal with them. We remember World War II. It was only just over 70 years ago. Six million Jews were murdered in what was meant to be the final solution. We already have a historical precedent that has been provided where many nations collaborated with Nazi Germany and they went systematically and methodically to exterminate every Jew that they could find. This is not a far far-fetched Bible prophecy. If we look at closely those nations again that we uh, just um, saw who would be confederate with Gog, there is Persia or Iran, very, very anti-Semitic and always fighting against the nation of Israel as we know. There is Ethiopia and Libya, both very high levels of anti-Semitism amongst them. Western Europe has the highest levels of anti-Semitism at the moment, as does Turkey as well. So it's not hard to see that there is going to be an anti-Semitic confederate group of nations that will come against the land of Israel. It's not hard to see that this is a Bible prophecy that could easily be fulfilled. But we want you to know that God is in control. And what we hope to show you tonight is that God is leading all of these nations together to a great battle in the land of Israel. And so we shouldn't fear that the world is going to be blown apart by some sort of nuclear attack that might take place because God does have a purpose with the earth. He is going to fill it with his glory. He's going to fill it with people that will know him and will love to worship him. Yes, there are some dark times which are coming for the Middle East. In Daniel 12, verse 1, there is a prophecy which says and describes that time as a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. There is going to be another great global conflict that is going to take place. 
And you might be asking, why would God allow another world war to take place? If he's a God of love, why would he want to allow so much suffering? Well, the Bible's answer to that is that is contained for us in Isaiah 32 and at verse 17. And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness is quietness and assurance forever. You see, true and lasting peace can only come when people understand what is right and when they do what is right. And people can only know and do what is right if they're brought to the realisation that God exists and that he requires them to live after his godly character. And that's the very purpose for why God will allow a world war to take place. Because it will be a war that will end all wars. It will be a war in which all people will come to the realisation that God does exist, that he is in control of the nations, and that he is bringing about his will and his purpose in the earth. And that's how Ezekiel 38 ends. After all this invasion, detailed description of the invasion that will take place, Ezekiel 38 and verse 23 ends with the realisation that God is working for the purpose that all people will come to know that he exists. And so there we read, Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. And that's why we can live with hope today, that despite the future battle of Armageddon, God is in control, that God will ultimately bring about the establishment of his kingdom on the earth. He will send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will reign as king in the land of Israel, and he will bring about a time of great peace, of security and safety for all people. It will be a time of unparalleled joy and prosperity in the kingdom of God. More importantly as well, it will be a time when there will be no more war. War will be eradicated. It will be educated out of the minds of people in the kingdom of God. They will no longer learn the art of war. And that's the, the beautiful prophecy that is um, shown to us in Isaiah 2 and at verse 4. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And our prayer is, is that this time will soon come, that the kingdom of God will be on earth. And it's our prayer that all those who listen to the Bible's message and who act on it will be there in that day. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org.
So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.